Hi, this is Diva Celebration. And today's subject matter is going to be, I guess, on the why the rich and the wealthy, like the uber rich, the uber wealthy, why do they continually attain more power? You know, once they once they become wealthy, once they get to a certain point of wealth as far as dollar like millions into billions, why don't they just sit back and relax? Why don't they just say, okay, you know, my money is going to make money. I'm out. You know, I've attained what I wanted to attain. I don't need to attain any more than I already have as far as wealth goes. Why do they continually want more and more and more and more? And here is the, the answer in my estimation, because... You know, I think in past podcasts, I've mentioned that I had a business and we were pretty wealthy. And what I chose in that relationship, what I chose, my ex, it was my ex and I who owned the business together. What I chose in the relationship was our relationship. Our relationship was falling apart. And it was because of the business and the money. And because of the people who were starting to hang around us because we had the money, right? You know, pretty much vultures and vampires who want to take advantage, right? I saw the difference between those people and he did not, right? But there was reasons for that. Reasons why he saw it one way and I saw it another way. I saw it morally as, you know, I don't want people taking advantage of us because once you have this kind of people, you know, literally like a vampire sucking on you, you can't get them off of you. You know, you can't get them away from you. I'd rather just not have those people in our lives at all. Have less friends, have less people in our lives than to have those people in our lives. Whereas my ex saw that in his experiences over his life, because he had paid for things for people, you know, friends made mistakes, he would chill out the cash. And he saw the benefits of people feeling uh, obligated to you. And I guess in some way he liked that. He liked that. So I've been to the point where, yeah, I had wealth, but there was a, he and I had discussed, you know, and I think this was my influence in his life because I didn't really see having more and more wealth as, you know, that great of a thing. I saw it as if we can just get to the point where we can live the rest of our lives out and not have to worry, then we can take time to concentrate on our uh, uh, any future children we might have, uh, on our relationship, and then we can go out and do the things that we really want to do. What did we really want to do? I mean, the, what we were doing was just a way to make money. If we had money and we didn't have to worry, what would we want to do with our lives as a career? Then we could go out and pursue that career that we would want to do, Right? That's how I saw attaining wealth, right? Never having to worry. But, you know, I came from uh, a struggling family, a low-income family. Um, I think that his family struggled, but they didn't struggle as much as my family did. Because, you know, his mom basically worked her butt off. And that's a whole other issue. But because his dad was, had addiction issues. But I think that that's the power dynamic I saw, you know, I saw what his moral view was versus my moral view. And now, hindsight being 2020, if I had known that from the very beginning, I don't think I would have married him. 
because his moral view was different than my moral view. I just wanted to make enough to take care of myself for the rest of my life. He got to the point where it it was a power thing. It was a money-hungry power thing. And, man, he would take out anybody. Take out anybody. He, he, he He would lose a friendship. He would lose a marriage to have the money. It wasn't even just a business. It was just to be able to have the facade of, I own this business and I have all this money, right? And it didn't matter that I was the one who worked my butt off the most to, to attain that. He didn't care. There was no equality. In fact, it bothered him that people would ask him who wore the pants in the family because I was the one who was pretty much running that business. So that was part of it too. He didn't like the fact that they knew that I was the the one who was running that business the most. And he allowed, you know, he let that happen because he you know, didn't want to work as hard as me, right? But that brings us back to why people get into power positions, right? And I think that that's part of it. Part of uh, being in power means you don't have to work as much and you can let everybody else around you work more. And that's pretty much what broke up our marriage is I realized that he was going to let me let me do all the work and then he wanted to take the glory, right? And when I left, he had to hire, like, I think it was six, it may have been eight, uh, eight em- six to eight employees, and then they, he had to bring in a lawyer's secretary and the accountant's secretary to do what I was doing. That's just how much I was accomplishing in my day versus him just coming in and, and doing a basic job that he had always done his whole life uh, was tool making. So he had done that job. So let's go back to the power struggle. Why do people want to attain more and more and more power? You know, that's what I think it gets to. I think once people get a a certain amount of money, then it's just about power. And I think we see that every day in uh, politics. I think we see it in entertainment. I think we see it in all walks of life. I mean, look at Hollywood. Things are coming out in Hollywood that they've basically used women in Hollywood. Men have used women to attain their power positions, to attain money that they have. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation the other day with somebody about, they, they were talking about reparations. And I was like, why are we even focusing on paying reparations to people when we can't even home the homeless in this country. We can't even feed the hungry. We can't even, you know, people are dying uh, from cancer and other diseases because they can't afford to pay for the medical care because their insurance companies won't cover it. So, you know, basically, if you're not wealthy, the insurance company is saying to you, well, then you'll die because you can't afford to pay for it. I'll juxtapose that with my, uh, I took my, my dog uh, and when she was sick this past uh, couple years during the pandemic, I took her to an animal hospital. And basically what they told me is if I would, I was able to pay thousands of dollars to get an operation done on my dog, she would live. But if I couldn't pay for that, then I should put her to sleep. So that's pretty much how hospitals look at you. That's how the medical insurance companies look at you. If you're not wealthy, then you can just die. If you can't afford to pay for the services, then you're going to die. 
get the money or you're going to die. Right? So that's how they look at you. Or they put you in debt so that you have to pay it off for the rest of your life. And it's impossible for you to do so. Right? And, you know, it's just too expensive. That's why we need universal health care. But, you know, that's a whole other subject. But, yeah. If you, uh, if the country can't even solve those problems, or, you know, uh, we're, we're euthanizing a bunch of, you know, stray animals every single day. There's thousands and thousands of animals that get euthanized. Why can't we solve that problem? Why can't we stop breed, uh, people from breeding, make it uh, an against the law, and only have maybe one breeder for each breed that breeds them? Or, um, and no one else is allowed to breed that breed. Like, one breeder that breeds huskies, one breeder that breeds Labradors, one breeder, and then no one else is allowed to breed that animal. And yeah, that would, that would create, um, maybe, uh, no competition with that, but also they're only allowed to breed so many, uh, per year. We could solve this overpopulation of pets in moments. And then if you are caught breeding, you go to jail for a pretty, pretty large chunk of time. Give people enough, um, uh, boundaries or give them enough, um, uh, punishment and they won't do a certain thing. You know, they won't want to risk it, you know, because they'll end up in jail and they'll end up with these huge fines or whatever. We could solve those issues if they just put their foot down. And they say, oh, there's no way you can solve it. Well, you're always going to have people who are going to go off the rails. But once they get caught, you know, they get put in jail. So there's lots of problems that we're not solving. And people are talking reparations. And I said, well, you know, uh, and there's different groups that want reparations, right? Uh, From America, uh, primarily for slavery or for indentured servitude or whatever from the past. And they're trying to get that for their families. And they're pushing, pushing, pushing. And to me, it's getting... I mean, I understand the concept behind it, but I really don't think that it's something that we should be attaining right now when we have so many other problems. I don't think we should be taking money out of the government to pay um, the descendants of people who didn't even go through slavery, for instance, or indentured servitude. I don't think that we should be giving money to the people who didn't even go through it. Those people are going dead. At this point, especially when we have so many homeless, we have sex slavery that is, is, you know, taking over so many of our children. We're losing a lot of women who are being, you know, basically kidnapped into sex slavery and locked up. I mean, I don't think, I think because it's a woman's problem, people don't, you know, focus on it. So that's, you know, that's my point. But if we're going to pay reparations, you know who needs the highest reparations of every ethnicity? Women. Let's talk, talk. women have been, you know, uh, in servitude from the beginning of time. And they have been an equal and not given, you know, they've been considered property for a long, long time. And I think there's a lot of men who still look at women like they're their property, right? And if we're going to pay reparations, women should come first. And that means women all over the world, all over the world deserve reparations. I mean, come on. 
that that's why I keep saying let's stop talking about reparations. Let's start talking about solving the problems we have and getting them taken care of first. And then when we're all, uh, as a human society on our feet, we can talk about reparations, right? But, okay, so let's go back to um, the power struggle. And I think that 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 goes into the power struggle as well. I think the reason that people want reparations is they want to have more money so they have more power. Or they have more... um, uh, a higher level in society. And so they think they want to take money from the reparations to build themselves up. Right. So, okay. The power dynamics. I read a couple, di- uh, um, articles and we're going to go into these articles as to why people just keep attaining more wealth and why that is something that, uh, happens and why they keep doing it. So one of the articles was psychology today And the article is about why celebrities and the wealthy think they are above the law. And this is something that's played out in uh, sports. You know, uh, a lot of these sports guys get away with stuff that, you know, they're getting away with rape. I mean, literally, and I know a lot of people don't like hearing it, but Kobe Bryant raped someone. And she wasn't the only one he raped. And they keep holding him up as this person that these male children and female children should hold up as someone that they look up to. But he was a rapist, people. He, and people said, well, he wasn't convicted. Well, it was because the people he raped, he either paid them off or they backed down because particularly the one who tried to push it all the way through and get him for raping him, Um, all of the fans went after that person and went after her family, went after her friends, went after her co-workers. And eventually she just decided it wasn't worth ruining her life and everyone's life around her to go after him. So she just took the payoff. Otherwise, Kobe Bryant would be in jail because she had him. She had him and they had the the evidence they needed. He would have went to jail for a long time. But the sports fans didn't want to let him let uh, let one of the best basketball players of all time go, right? Well, we don't want him being put in jail because he's not going to win the games for us. That is how wealthy people are above the law. He literally got away with not just raping one person, but more than one person. Because he had the money to pay somebody because he had the backing of fans who didn't want the best basketball player off their team. See what I'm talking about? Okay. So that's just one example of the sports team. But that goes for people who are wealthy, people who have money, uh, people who are Hollywood stars, people who come from royalty or wealthy families or families that have names like, you know, the Kennedys and the Shrivers. They get away with so much shit. It's not even funny. And, you know, if you really looked into all of these wealthy families and the things they've gotten away with, Let's just say Ted Kennedy. Look up the name Ted Kennedy. Anyway. All right. Um, In the article, it says, We read about it all the time. Wealthy individuals or celebrities who engage in outrageous and often illegal behavior, believing that they can easily get away with it, and they often do. A lot of this is about the dynamics of power and the way we afford power and a sort of celebrity to wealthy people. Famous and wealthy people can become intoxicated 
by the power and prestige that come with their celebrity status. They snapped their fingers and they, uh, and a slew of attendants jumped to their every command. Now, this is why I think a lot of people attain, try to attain um, wealth because they want to feel like a king or a queen. They want to feel like royalty. And to be honest with you, I don't think the monarchies are gone. I think they're still here. We may call it a democracy, but we have people who are so wealthy that they treat themselves and they treat society like they are a monarchy, right? It's really hard to get away from that power dynamic, right? Even though we have tried to strike down the monarchies, we still have people who are living that way. Like, 98% of the population are the serfs, paying taxes to them. I mean, here recently we've, we've been told that all of these big corporations, all these really wealthy people aren't even paying taxes. They're getting away for, with not paying taxes. Why? Because they are able to throw money at the um, legislative people, the you know government representatives, to get them to change the laws so that they don't have to pay taxes. I mean, when they changed the wealth tax and the estate tax, I couldn't believe it. I was like, why are we changing the wealth tax and the state tax? That is there so that the wealthy have to pay their fair share. But somehow the wealthy were able to pay the government representatives to change that law. It's kind of crazy. Anyway, okay. Their extraordinary power leads them to believe that they are special and that the rules that apply to everyone else simply don't apply to them. Leadership scholar and philosopher Terry Price calls this exceptional exception-making. Celebrities begin to believe that they should get a free pass and allows them to misbehave. So, exception-making, right? If they do get caught, their celebrity or their money can help them escape punishment or get a slap on the wrist. Celebrities who uh, should have gone to jail, even when the rich or famous go to jail, they are given lighter sentences or sent to luxury prisons. Um, Martha Stewart is an example of that. Um, the college scam with the, the two act, with the actors' families who, and they weren't the only ones in this college scam. There were thousands of people across the country. They just focused on them because they were famous. But there were thousands of wealthy people across the country who had committed the same sort of college scams, where they were taking scholarships and grants and sports um, uh, positions away from lower income people and putting their kids into those scholarships and grants. I mean, there was even, uh, for years it's, this has been done, where um, wealthy people's kids will uh, say that their parents have disowned them so that they can go and get financial aid and uh, grants from the colleges so that their parents don't have to pay for the college. Because their parents feel like, well, we pay all these taxes. Well, no, they don't. The wealthy people don't pay all the taxes. We do. We're learning that, aren't we? That these big corporations aren't paying taxes and that wealthy people aren't paying taxes. They have all these tax shelters to keep them from paying taxes. And who's really paying the taxes? Poor people are. Poor people are paying the taxes because they don't have the money to have accountants and lawyers to get them out of um, paying taxes, right? So they justify these college scams by saying, well, we're wealthy. We should be able to get all our college for free, not these poor people. 
That is just an example of how wealthy people think. Even though they have all this wealth and all this money, they think they should have more and that poor people shouldn't get any breaks. Because they're the ones who work so hard. They're the ones who deserve it. Blah, blah, blah. Because they pay so many taxes. But that's how it works. The more you make in this country, the more taxes you pay. Well, not anymore. That's not how it is anymore, is it? Okay. What is the antidote to the poisoning effect of celebrity and power? It is humility. People need to have humility, is what this article is saying. Celebrities and powerful people need to realize that power and fame do not excuse them from following the laws and societal standards. Many powerful and famous people do not become intoxicated by power and are able to keep their feet on the ground. Think of Warren Buffett, Apple's Tim Cook, and celebrities like Tom Hanks and Keanu Reeves who are powerful yet humble. They realize that if it weren't for a good deal of luck, they wouldn't be where they are now. Okay? So, you know, that's just a just a little blurb of, you know, what it takes to um, not let power and money corrupt you. Now, let's go back to one of the names mentioned in this article. Tom Hanks. Recently, Tom Hanks uh, was confronted about nepotism. Uh, Pretty much all his kids are beneficiaries of nepotism of his fame. Even his wife is. I mean, currently, she's pursuing a music career. She's not that great of a singer. And uh, she's already got a Grammy within a, a year or two of her deciding she wants to be a singer. I mean, come on. She has to know that that's all because she's married to Tom Hanks. I mean, she cannot be that dim-witted. But does she care? Does she care? No. She doesn't care. Because her name is going to get it. She's going to get a Grammy. And forever throughout time, her name is going to be on a Grammy. And I've talked about how celebrities are buying the EGOTs. You know, they're going out, you know, and uh, the big thing now is that, you know, everybody wants to be an EGOT. The past people who have gotten the EGOT, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, those people did it out of a necessity of, you know, they would work in um, uh, in TV and then they would get shut out of TV, right? Because, you know, they were getting, um, they were what do they call them? They cast them. Uh, they were, they, they, they were getting stuck in a certain sort of role, right? So those people decided to, okay, well then I won't do movie or TV anymore. I'll, I'll try to go over and, and work the stage. I'll do the stage because that was considered a step down from TV. So they go to work the stage and they get a Tony and then they get shut out of, you know, that, 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 that area of entertainment because of jealousies, whatever. So then they would uh, maybe go out and try and make money uh, doing uh, something in films. So then they'd get an Oscar just because they're good at what they're doing, right? And then they get shut out of that for some reason. So then they would go over and try to do something on, um, uh, what is it, Emmys, Emmy, Oscar, uh, Grammy Tony. So then they would do, you know, they would get their Grammy from singing and they'd get their Tony on Broadway and they'd get their Oscar 
in the films and they get their Emmy. And all of that was out of necessity because they needed to make a living. It wasn't because they bought their way in. It was because they had no choice. And so what the EGOT got held up as, as is uh, somebody who actually survived the industry. It was a respected sort of thing that even when they got knocked out of one industry, part of the industry, they would go to another part of an industry and they would make it over there. So the EGOT was actually some uh, uh, sort of an award that people would get, those four different awards, when they persevered and they didn't give up and they didn't let the industry kick them out the door. Now, it's just a bunch of people who are wealthy, um, uh, they're wealthy people who are basically paying to have, like, the, you know, they're, they're, they're paying to, to put on a play on Broadway or to put a musical on on Broadway because they have the money to do it, right? Because now all these actors and actresses and singers want to become producers and directors and so forth and so on. So they literally paid to have a movie made. They literally pay to have a, um, uh, a play put on on Broadway. They literally pay to um, do some sort of a recording. I used to think, why is everybody doing all of these books? Why is everybody writing a bunch of books? Well, because then they do the audio. They read the audio of their book. And guess what? They can, they can win a Grammy for that. The Grammys are about music. Not about people reading books that they wrote. <laughs> I mean, when did that become a Grammy? So now people are winning Grammys because they read a book that they wrote. So now, okay, so now they've got their Tony for paying for the the play that they put on Broadway. You know, because they have so much money that they're paying for this to get done. And now they've got their Grammy for reading a book. And then they pay for a TV show. I mean, if I don't know if you've noticed a bunch of people now trying to pay for a TV show. So now, instead of the Emmys being about free broadcast TV, because that's what the Emmy Awards were always about. They were about the shows that didn't get the credit on free broadcast TV, right? They were about soap operas. They were about sitcoms that people didn't have to pay for, that the whole country could watch, right? But now because people want these EGOTs, they've pushed to make the Emmys about cable TV and about streaming services. So now we've got cable TV and streaming services in on that. And now these very wealthy people are paying to get themselves into a show or whatever. They've pushed to get those put into the Emmy. So now when you watch the Emmy, very rarely do you see a broadcast free TV show that most of America watches, that most of the, the, the poor people watch, right? Now you see shows that are from the cable and the streaming services that, you know, you basically have to have money to pay for cable and to pay for those channels and to be able to watch them. And a lot of these channels are on premium packages, right? For you to be able to watch them. I mean, half the show's that are on the Emmys now, I don't even know who they are. I don't even know who the actors are. Because I don't have cable. I don't waste my money on cable. I have a life. I don't have time to watch cable. Right? Um, I have Netflix, but, you know, I think I watch... If I watch two or three things a month on Netflix, I feel like it's paid for. 
right? Because I would have had to pay for a movie out somewhere a lot more than that, right? So if I watch two or three movies on Netflix, then I saved myself money and, you know, it's paid for. So anything above and beyond that is, is, is cake for Netflix or for a streaming service. But that's it. I don't have any other streaming, streaming services. I don't have cable. I don't have anything else. Who has the time to have to watch all of that stuff and make what you're paying for worth it? Honestly. So I don't really get people who pay for all that stuff. I just, uh, my ex and I used to have cable, uh, and have all the channels and everything. And we realized that we just were never home enough to even make it worth our while. So we got rid of it. We got rid of it. We just had basic cable. I think we paid like 20 month dollars a month and we barely could watch what was on the basic cable. But that's just one showing of how the wealthy are using their, their wealth to, um, to, uh, buy themselves EGOTs. So back to Tom Hanks, you know, he, he basically said that, that entertainment was the family business. And that's how he shrugged off the fact that his kids are, 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 are basically benefiting from his success and benefiting from nepotism. That's when I was like, okay, well, he's just like all the rest of them, isn't he? He isn't humble. He does not have humility. He thinks it's okay for his kids to benefit from his fame and his fortune. And he thinks nepotism is okay. I mean, if you look at half the shows now, most of them are brothers, sisters, wives, and uh, kids of somebody who got really famous and is bringing their whole family into the industry instead of giving people who need the, the break a break. All right, we're going to continue this. I'm at my 30 minutes on this, but I'm going to continue talking about this in the second segment.